At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Coming up on episode 264 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Hyundai Santa Cruz, the Ferrari Purasang, Pricing for the the 23 Honda CRV, Tesla Autopilot class action lawsuit, no Hellcats for the Chrysler 300, VWID Aero, Lincoln Corsair, and more. All that coming up next. This is episode 264 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Roberto Baldwin from, let's say, TechCrunch this week. And uh, Nicole is somewhere. I can't remember somewhere. where. <laughs> she's she's not somewhere. here. She's somewhere <laughs> out there. Yes, traveling. <laughs> I was going to sing <laughs> the Fiebel song from. Yeah, next next America. couple of weeks are going to be pretty hectic for travel. I know. I know one of the places Nicole's going is Vietnam. Um, and there was she's <clears> going to be in Bozeman next week, uh, where I will also be. So we'll be recording something from there. Uh, but beyond that, I can't remember where she is right at this moment. So anyway, safe travels, Nicole. Safe um, She's on the planet. We can tell you that. Yes. So, well, so, she might be slightly above the planet. We, we're not quite sure. She might be in the air still. Oh, that's true. She's, yeah. she's near. She's, she's, she's with, within, within the atmosphere of the planet. She's, with, she's within our biosphere somewhere. Yeah, she's somewhere. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, since you didn't drive anything since we last recorded just three days ago, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about the uh, the Hyundai Santa Cruz 2.5 turbo all-wheel drive limited or something like that. Uh, limited all-wheel drive, actually, is the way it is on the Monroney. Um, so this is uh, this is Hyundai's version of the modern trucklet, um, as we have dubbed these uh, these compact trucks. Um this is uh it came out you know almost exactly the same time as the ford maverick uh it's very similar in size to a maverick um it uh the main differences the the santa cruz is a little more expensive base price um it's not as fuel efficient uh and it's it's definitely more stylish it's more it's more upscale than the Maverick. The Maverick, yeah. For when you when you sit in the Maverick, you look at the Maverick, and you, especially when you get inside, you can see where Ford said, "Okay, we want this to be a very affordable vehicle. Um, you know, we're going to give you all the functionality that you need, but you know, we're, we're it's not going to be fancy. It's not intended to be fancy. Um, and you know, it it does what it does extremely well." The Santa Cruz, on the other hand, is derived from the Tucson crossover, 
I mean, it is essentially a Tucson with a bed uh, on the back. Um, the, the the sheet metal on the sides is slightly different from the Tucson, but you know it, you can you can see the the family connection there when you look at the front end, the front half of it. It, it is very much a Tucson uh, with a bed, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, you know, it's a it's a really good vehicle. Um, for some reason, Hyundai has opted not to include a hybrid powertrain in here at this time, the way they did uh, with the Tucson. And from conversations I've had with Hyundai, they said, yeah, we, you know, there was some issues with trying to package the battery uh, for the hybrid. You know, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, at some point during the, the life cycle of this vehicle, we will see it with at least a hybrid and, and possibly a plug-in hybrid powertrain. Yeah. So that so that means that the the base Santa Cruz is not nearly as um, fuel efficient as the uh, as the Maverick the base Maverick, and it's also more expensive. It's you know it's two point five liter four cylinder um, naturally aspirated in the base model, and um, two point a two point five turbo uh, in the version that I had the upscale model. Um, so that I think is about 250 horsepower, if I recall correctly. Um, and, uh, you know, it, as I said, it's just, you know, roughly the same size as the Maverick. So it's got similar capabilities. Uh, it'll, it'll carry five, five passengers, four comfortably, but five in a pinch. You, know, you can put three across in the, in the rear seat. And, especially, and if you got three kids, you know, not a problem putting them in there. They'll fit fine. Um, as long as they're not all in car seats. Uh and uh, it's it, uh, it it does it does what it's meant to do, which is you know provide you know basic transportation um, with the extra utility of a pickup bed. And it really you know I think it provides unless you have to tow uh, uh, tow significant amounts, it provides all the all the pickup utility that the vast majority of people need. It you know it is. You know, it's not going to um, it's not going to haul 2000 pounds. Uh, it's not going to, you know, tow 10, 12000 pounds, but that's OK, because most people don't actually need that. Yeah. Um, while it's, I have it's, it, it's the it's the it's the tiny Honda Ridgeline. That's what yes. I <laughs> and, and frankly, it's not that tiny either. You know? That's true. I mean, it's 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 big enough. Um, you know, it's not like if you if you're old enough to remember the Subaru Brat from the 1970s, this is the 70s, uh, right? I had a teacher that had a Subaru brat and I was so jealous of her. I was in fourth grade, so it doesn't yeah. really count like me like, Oh no, but I really wanted that car. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the Subaru brat was a lot smaller than this and you know, the, the Baja that they did in the two thousands based on the Outback was also, well, it certainly had a smaller bed than this. Did. Yeah. So, you know, during, during my week with the, uh, with the Santa Cruz, uh, we're in the process of, building a new rain garden in our front yard uh, so that there's less grass to mow. Um, and uh, uh, in the process of doing that, I went over to Lowe's, loaded up the uh, the back end of this uh, Santa Cruz with 20 40-pound bags of topsoil, uh, 800 pounds. Not a problem. You know, you could see, you know, dip, the springs compressed a little bit, but, it, you know, it's not like it was dragging its rear bumper down the, down the ground. And it had no problem at all with that there was plenty of room uh in there and i i probably could have put another 10 bags of topsoil in there um but uh you know uh i, I you know i figured that was that was going to be enough um 
does it have a does it have like a tow button like a drive mode or, or uh, a haul drive mode because the the maverick no. had it and i went and i picked up like 800 pounds of like rocks twice and the first time i didn't even bother i didn't re i didn't think about the button i just drove home I'm like yeah this is fine and then the second time i'm like oh oh yeah the the haul mode i pushed and i'm like oh a little bit more torque it's fine it yeah. didn't even it didn't even it didn't matter <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I just pulled up the specs. Um, the, the turbo is 281 horsepower, a little more than I thought, which is more than what you get with the two liter turbo option in the um, the Maverick, which is 250, I think, um, and 311 foot pounds of torque. So this, you know, 800 pounds of soil in the back end, not a problem at all. Nothing. It didn't even didn't even blink. Um, you know, with the with if you had the base engine, you know, it would probably feel a little more sluggish with 191 horsepower. Um, and, and a lot less torque, only 181 foot pounds of torque, but with, uh, uh, with the turbo, it's fine. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you get in it, if you sat in a, in a current generation Tucson, you will feel immediately at home in this thing. It is, you know, it is the exact same interior, same seats, same dashboard with the, the center stack that kind of flows down from the top of the dashboard. Um, the limited that I had had the larger um, 12 inch, uh, 11 or 12 inch um, touchscreen display. Um, the the, the uh, base models or the lower trim levels actually have a slightly smaller 10 inch display. And if you get that those, you actually get some physical controls that surround it, like a physical volume uh, roller and uh, some physical climate control buttons, um, which... I think if I was buying one, I might actually opt for that because the one thing that one of the complaints I've had with both the Tucson and now with the Santa Cruz is they, when you get the larger screen, everything is a touch sensitive control. There's no, there's, it's, it's basically a flat surface below the touch screen. And, you know, so you've got to look at it to, to, you know, change the temperature or anything like that. And it is a little annoying. Um, so, um, I might recommend actually going for the, one of the lower trim levels so that you don't have that issue. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, the rest of it, you know, the limited, this one had the leather seats in it. It had nice soft touch surfaces. If you get the lower trim levels, you know, like on the top of the dashboard, it's going to be, uh, it's going to look, the graining is, looks similar, but when you touch it, it, it feels, you can feel hard plastic instead of soft touch material. Um, but you know, that's, that's not that big a deal. Um, and, but, you know, the, the downside of uh, the limited is the price tag. So it gets a little pricey when you go all in all wheel drive and everything else. This it one jumps came, so quickly. It does. Cause it's, it start the Santa Cruz starts at about a little over $25,000. Um, the one I had was priced out at $41,100. Uh, including guess the guess the destination charge. Ooh, ooh, hold on. Eleven hundred. Very close. Eleven eighty-five. <sighs> you probably would have won on Prices Right. I'm getting really good at this. Yeah. Uh, by the so, way, I don't look it up. I'm like, oh, I got to fit. This is like my new, this is my favorite yeah, game can, in the world now. I can, I can, I can see Robbie here on the Zoom screen. Yes. He's, he's, he's closing his eyes <laughs> thinking about it. I yeah. stop and ponder. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, again, the, the other um, negative of the Santa Cruz versus the, uh, um, the um, Maverick is fuel economy. Uh, even compared to uh, the, the 
the base naturally aspirated engine, I think, is rated about 26 miles per gallon combined. Um, the turbo is rated at 22 miles per gallon combined, so 19 city, 27 highway. In my week of driving it, um, I had I, I averaged about 20, uh, so a little bit less. Uh, and that was with a mix of highway and city driving. So I got a little less, a couple of miles per gallon less than what it's rated at. Um, and, uh, you know, for a small truck, you know, at, especially at $41,000, you know, and only 20 miles per gallon. Now you got to think, ah, geez, you know, do I want to go with the smaller one or, you know, go, you know, go up a size, you know, to something like a Ridgeline, you know, or a Ranger or, or a Colorado Canyon. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it starts to become, become a little bit tougher choice, um, which is why I think, I, I suspect that um, Hyundai is probably going to find a way to do uh, a hybrid version of this at some point during its model life cycle, you know, probably, you know, maybe for 24 model year, uh, you yeah. know, so do a mid cycle update and, uh, and add the hybrid option because with the hybrid Maverick, you get 40 miles per gallon. Easy. I mean, you don't even have to try. And easy, uh, so, easy. yep. So, that that is that is the one downside, but you know, with as part of the the limited trim level and everything, you get this nice hard tonneau cover, um, and it the this this tonneau folds up, so there's a handle on the top. You push it, and you just shove the thing forward, and it it, it basically folds up like an accordion up at the front edge of the bed. And one of the cool things is it's got this strap that is uh, clipped to the tonneau cover, and then clip there's a clip on the side of the bed. So when you're loading stuff in there uh, and you, or you, and then you want to pull the tonneau back uh, to close it, you just grab the strap and just pull it back. So, you know, so you don't have to try and reach all the way up to the front edge of the bed or walk around the side. You can just pull the strap, pull it back, latches in place and close the tailgate and you're good. And you have a nice secure storage area. So that was, that's, that's kind of a cool feature. Um, overall, you know, I, it, it drives really well. It's, you know, 280 horsepower. It's more than quick enough. Um, and, um, you know, handling uh, is quite good. Uh, so it's, it's quite a pleasant vehicle to be in. Um, like I said, lots of utility. The pay, I think the total payload um, is about 1400 pounds. Um, so, you know, four, you know, four adults and 800 pounds of topsoil and, and you're good to go. Uh, so, um, that's the, the 2022 Hyundai Santa Cruz, uh, limited all wheel drive, um, 41 grand out the door. I really liked, I, I finally got to drive it, um, back in August and I, I really liked it. Um, I think it's a, it's a, you know, Hyundai makes you feel like you're getting more for your money. Um, mm -hmm. you know, of course, once you hit that limited, once you hit the limited spec, you're just like, Ooh. um, but if you know if you're looking for a small truck, there's there's really only two right now. Um, there's this and the Maverick. If you're if you're if you want to be a little bit fancy, you want to have a little bit nicer experience, you go with the Hyundai. If you just want a down and dirty truck, you go Maverick. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, the the Maverick is selling as fast as they can build them right now. Um, the Santa Cruz is not selling quite as fast, but I think I think they're supply constrained as well because the Santa Cruz comes is built in Korea. It's not it's not assembled here in the U.S. right now. Um, so I think, you know, as supplies improve, uh, they, you know, those sales should go up as well. 
yeah, it'll be yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how it shakes out in a few years. Because now apparently Dodge wants to build a small truck, and everyone's now wanting to do a small truck. You need a Subaru. I think I probably said this before. They're probably kicking themselves. Right? Come on, <laughs> come on. We have the Baja, and you guys didn't buy it. And now the Baja, like you can't even find those things because everyone's like, oh, this is a good car. It's like <laughs> the Element. The Baja and the Element are like these weird cars that when they, they came out, their like, time. Yeah, people bought them, and they're like, oh, this is cool. Like, and then. Afterward, once they went away, they're like, oh, wait, these are really cool. Then every more and more people want them. He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. Um, speaking of pricing, um, Hon- uh, recently, uh, Nicole had a chance to drive the new 2023 Honda CRV. She quite liked it. Um, but uh, uh, pricing has now been released on the CRV, and um, it's gone up quite a bit from 2022 model year. Uh, if on the off chance that you can find a 22 CRV, you might want to consider snagging it up, snapping it up as long as there's not too much of a markup on it, because the 23 model year, um, the two wheel drive EX, um, starts, uh, at, uh, 30, uh, 32,335, um, with the, including the destination charge, uh, and goes up to, uh, uh, just shy of forty thousand dollars for the sport touring all-wheel drive, so they're and that that's for the hybrid. Um, the the hybrid is actually not much more expensive. It's only about uh, fifteen hundred dollars more than the uh, than the gas version. Uh, so you probably want to take a look at that for, if you're looking for fuel economy. But yeah, these these things are getting pricey. It's a jump. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a. That's not a. It's not a. You know, a small jump. It's a big jump. It's like what, six thousand dollars something? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, something. I think it's about five grand. But five thousand. It's it's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're looking for CRV, and you know, that's yes, it's a lot of money. It's also you know, you know, whenever you get into a Honda and you just close the door, it's like thump, and you're like, oh, that's what I'm. That's what I'm buying a Honda for. But that that's that's oh, quite a yeah no actually that you're, build quality you're right it is almost six thousand dollars the twenty two uh, was twenty six eight to start oof oof yeah that's that's a lot again I mean it'll probably last seven hundred years so you probably yeah. you're gonna get your money's worth <laughs> but also yeah if you can get a twenty if you can somehow find a twenty twenty two um and you don't care about whatever the twenty twenty three you know differences are which probably i mean i'm sure it's a great vehicle crv's just you know year over year just continues to get a little bit better but the baseline for it is so great that you're just like yeah it doesn't really matter yeah i mean we so yeah yeah go find one now (laughs) (laughs) all right What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, at, uh, at a slightly higher price point, uh, there was another new uh, 
they, they don't want to call it an SUV or a crossover, uh, but there was another vehicle revealed this week, the um, Ferrari Purosang or Purosang. I'm not quite sure how it's supposed to be pronounced. Um, this is um, Ferrari's first regular production four-door model in their history. Um, they At various times, they have built uh, a few, uh, a small number of four-door models, you know, as custom builds for various important customers, various important clients. But um, this is their first four-door model in their history, in their lineup. Uh, and uh, it's sort of SUV-ish. It's taller. It's a hatchback. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a hatchback. Um, you know, it this this replaces the uh, GTC4 Lusso uh, slash FF uh, in their lineup. Um, you know, and the the FF and the GTC4, you know, were hatchbacks. You know, they were more in the vein of the old uh, mid early sixties uh, bread van, two fifty GTO bread van models. Um, and uh, this kind of takes that FF concept, makes it a little taller um little sleeker looking um and um yeah it's it's a it's a very different take on doing a the super high performance suv from what lamborghini did with the urus yeah lamborghini goes all in with insanity it's just because you know sharp lines and whereas ferrari is really going in is really smooth uh very you know traditional lamborghini look or, i'm sorry ferrari look and you know what? The only thing that matters is that giant badge on the on the side on the fenders. <laughs> the, the yellow shield with the black horse. Yep. No, that's all that matters really to the people who are going to buy this. To be to be honest, I think they're they're you know the people who kind of wanted to order this, but they're like, oh, it's a little too ostentatious. But I still want you know an Italian you know supercar. I'm going to get the whatever pearl pearl sangu whatever. I'm going to get the new Ferrari SUV. <laughs> I have well, to watch the, a video where they introduce it, so I figure out how to say it. Well, you know, the, the proportions of this thing are also very different from the Urus. Um, you know, the Urus shares its basic architecture with the Cayenne and uh, the Audi Q8. Um, and, you know, it's a four liter twin turbo V8, whereas, you know, this is a V12. Um, per, you know, perhaps the last naturally aspirated non non-electrified ferrari v12 um you know it's based on the the engine that was in the uh the 812 uh and the, the tdf and the and and the the ff uh it's a six and a half liter v12 715 horsepower uh you know this is you know and the proportions of this when you look at it profile especially you know it's got more of the you know, you can see more of the DNA um, from something like the 812 in this. It's got a much longer hood than the Urus does, and the, the cab is pushed back. Um, you know, it looks like a looks like it's going to be a proper four seater. Uh, it's got rear, rear hinged rear doors, suicide doors, as they used to like to call them. Um, you know, it's a it's a very different beast from the from the Urus. Yeah, and that engine is so far back in the front of the car like you can you can actually look and see where it's where if you go to the site and go down the engine discover more you can see how far back it is to sort of help with uh um you know that that, that uh 
that weight split. It's, I mean, it just, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely right, behind the rear axle. Yeah, it's, it's completely behind the rear axle. You have all this room up front and, you know, you, you see this, they, they, you know, they they put a lot of thought, and a lot of work into this. And I, you know, I, I actually like it. I know there's, people are split on it. Um, I, I like it. I think that they're, you know, they're going to sell more of these than they do of anything else. I think it's going to be the same thing that the Urus people are like, eh, Urus are the same thing with the, with the Macan and the Cayenne, eh, you know, but they're going to sell a lot of these. I think they're going to be fine. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it starts at $400,000. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a little pricier than a 296. You know, if you, if you have the family and you need, oh, I need a family car and I have, oh, my price range. Oh, I don't want to quite spend, you know, half a million. I want a little bit under that <laughs> for taking the kids to soccer practice, or I'm assuming lacrosse. This seems like something like, we're yeah, it's probably lacrosse. more lacrosse, uh, field hockey, yeah, yeah, the, the 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 rich people in the East Coast, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sports where they 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 only you know they're they're essentially just you know made for the uh, Ivy League, <laughs> the Ivy League sports. They're like, oh, we don't basketball. No, 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 we're gonna do lacrosse. I'm like, yeah. that's not suspect at all. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- this thing carries over an updated version of the four wheel drive system that they've had on the FF and the GTC four for a decade, which is kind of a unique setup you know because most four-wheel drive systems you know you have all the torque coming out the back of the engine uh and then somewhere in the transmission you've got you know some sort of torque split mechanism that sends some of the torque to the back to the rear axle and then another drive shaft coming forward to drive the the front axle but this one is is something very different uh it's their 4rm uh or 4rms system because it's also got four-wheel steering and so, and, and this, you know, unlike most four wheel drive vehicles, this thing has its transmission at the rear axle. It's got a rear transaxle, uh, as opposed to putting the transmission right behind the engine. Um, and, and in part because the engine is so far back, you know, so you, this is how they got a 4951 front to rear weight split. Yeah. And then there's a separate mechanical power takeoff unit mounted on the front of the engine that drives the front axle instead of having a drive shaft going back to the rear transaxle and then another one coming all the way back to the front. They, they just add this um, power takeoff unit on the front of the engine. So the engine is, is literally is completely behind the rear ac- or behind the front axle. So it truly is a front mid engine vehicle. It's interesting. If you look again, if you look at this thing, like the bell housing going back to that rear, that rear transmission is really so teeny tiny. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's yeah it's it's a Tinker Bell. Yeah, well, I mean, there, I don't, I don't, there's not really anything in it, you know. Yeah, it's just um, sort of think, because yeah because the clutch there's, is there doesn't need to be anything. Yeah. It's all in the back. Yeah, it's an it's an eight speed dual clutch transmission, uh, which is all mounted at the rear axle. So, it's it's a it's an interesting beast. Uh, zero to sixty and or well, zero to sixty two because zero to hundred kilometers an hour in three point three seconds, two hundred kilometers an hour in ten point six. Um, max speed of uh, greater than 310 kilometers an hour. So, you know, over 200 miles an hour. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's, what, what I mean, what was someone told me, if you, if you can't afford two, don't buy one. This is definitely people who can afford two Ferraris. They're like, well, you know, I got the, I got the one for the family. This is the family for us. Yeah, this is the one to take the kids, the kids. to lacrosse and field hockey. And yeah. then you get the 296 GTB to, to commute to work. 
yeah, this is <laughs> this is my commuter. <laughs> uh, and then they have a Honda Accord. It's uh, that's always the weird like if if you yeah. drive to like a really rich neighborhood, like you see all these amazing cars, and then like a Honda Accord. Well, <laughs> just, you, you need something CRV. that's you need something that you know is just going to run every single yeah. time you get into it. Yeah, I I we I was doing a video shoot with a um with the NSX a few years ago, and this guy rode up on a bike that cost more than anything I own, and he's like, "Oh, how do you like it?" I'm like, "I you know I like it a lot. You know, you can get a supercar and then you can take it to the Acura dealer and get it serviced." He's like, "Yeah, I have a Ferrari, and it's going to take four months or three or four months I forget the to, to get the oil changed." And my friend has a Ferrari, and there's something wrong with it, and he has to send it back to Italy to get fixed and it's going to be like 18 months or some crazy some crazy that's, amount of time and i was like oh okay he's like yeah this like he's that's, like, that's worse than this. trying to get uh service on a tesla yeah yeah you, uh, where, where, what's going on with your ferrari i gotta stick it on a boat <laughs> send it back to ferrari so they can fix something well i mean like, if you're serious about it you're gonna get it packed up and put it on a in the belly of a 747 oh that's true yeah. You're going to air freight it. You're not going to put air, it on a boat. You're going to air freight it. But it was, yeah, it was very much a, oh, this is how other people live sort of type, type of situation where I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, he's like, oh, this seems like a really cool car. Maybe I'll get one of these. You know, as you just go out and buy an NSX. Yeah. As the, as your Honda Accord. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, you know, the the first time I, the, or the last time I drove an NSX, um, I think I think it right up through the end now. It still has the same audio system in it, which is actually the very same infotainment system that's in our Honda Civic. It's the the touchscreen system. Doesn't have a oh, volume yeah. knob. It's got touch touch controls for volume oh, the and everything. Old, yeah, that was that the was, the display audio that. system that they launched on the and fifteen on the Fit and the and the Civic. Yeah, um, they fixed that. Yeah, put a knob because I think everyone's like no, and they're like okay. Yeah, but the the NSX still had that system in there. Oh, that touch that touch volume control is just a pain. Yeah. Um. All right. <laughs> now we're, we're we're just we're ripping on the NSX for touch volume controls. <laughs> we're like, oh come on. Yeah, no, I mean the the thing if you're gonna drive an NSX, just turn that off, roll down the windows, just listen to yeah. the powertrain. Just listen. Just have a nice time. Yeah. Um. All right. Um. Uh, speaking of relatively high performance vehicles. Um, Chrysler, um, on, we didn't mention this during the last episode, but they, the Tuesday night before the auto show, Detroit auto show media day, they had their own little press event, um, that, uh, you know, it, that was a, a fairly late addition to the schedule. And, um, they announced, uh, the, the Chrysler 300 C. So as with Dodge, which we talked about last month, um, they're going to be ending production of the charger and challenger. Uh, by the end of 2023 and the Hellcat engines are going away. Um, Chrysler um, is also making the transition to electric vehicles. They haven't, other than the airflow, which is a sort of crossover-ish thing, um, they haven't given us any clues as to what else they're going to be offering, except they did tell me uh, earlier this year that they plan to have about four to six models nameplates in their lineup. Um and presumably one of those will be a replacement for the 300 sedan. Um, but for the final run of the, the 300, they've, they've launched, of the current 300, they've launched the 300C, um, which um, is only going to be available. I think the last ones are going to be built in February. 
2023. Um, and interestingly, they did not put the Hellcat in this thing. It's the only one of the the, the LX vehicles, the, the Charger and Challenger, the other two, that never got a Hellcat. And uh, apparently the, the reason why is there's just not enough Hellcats to go around to support the, the 300C because they they brought back the Durango Hellcat this year. They've still got the Ram TRX um, and the Charger and Challenger, and they, they can't build enough Hellcats to offer them in the uh, in the 300C. So that's why the 300C has a 6.4 liter Hemi in it instead. I the, the fact that you can get a Durango Hellcat and not a 300C Hellcat <laughs> just boggles my mind. It's just I don't I I don't know. I, I like I, I the Durango to me has always been like eh. that 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 300 is always I don't know it's just something about the design and the look and it's it's you know it's I think I really like the way the 300 looks and it's not you know it's not flashy it's just like this very nice like for for what you were getting for the money it just felt very classy mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah it felt like just like this very classy version of the you know the challenger and the charger and and, and you're you don't you're not getting a hellcat in the 300 really <laughs> i guess it's fine but the fact that, that that we can't do it because we have a bunch of durangos coming <laughs> which again I don't, i've never cared about the durango i just the durango's always been like mm. <laughs> it's like a forgettable to me it's always been like the forgettable vehicle in that lineup yeah like, yeah, we're but, making a Hellcat. I'm like, really? All right. But, I'm you sure know, you sell Do a ton of them. Yeah. Do Dodge is the muscle car brand. And, you know, with, you know, with the, they're, they're no longer, they no longer build the, um, the Grand Cherokee Trackhawk um, since they introduced the new Grand Cherokee. So the, the Trackhawk is gone. So they probably figured, still got some demand for a Hellcat powered SUV. So let's build a few more uh, Durangos instead. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um all right uh Oof. then tesla right, I, was at, I was looking at the numbers of the durango year by year yeah it's not great yeah sixty-five thousand last year yeah no, Com compared compared to the grand cherokee which shares its platform with or at least the old grand cherokee and the durango shared the same platform um the the jeep sold in far higher numbers but um all right. Uh, Tesla um, has been continuing to get lots of attention, uh, not all of it positive uh, for its autopilot and full self-driving uh, system. And uh, this past week, um, a um, law firm in San Francisco filed a class action, class action suit in the Northern District of uh, California, um, uh, demanding that uh, Tesla um, stop selling uh, enhanced autopilot and full self-driving um, give back all the money to all the customers that paid for it over the last six years. Um, and, uh, and also pay punitive damages uh, because basically essentially they're calling it a scam, which I'm a hard time disagreeing uh, with. It's hard when you're charging $15,000 for a thing that doesn't work. Yeah. And probably like gonna, never will. It's going to do a thing. Will it? Yeah. 15. Yeah. I mean, class actions usually end up, you know, the, the law firm ends up with most of the money. The person who sends it does most of the money. Then everyone else gets like 50 bucks in the mail after getting like that piece of paper with like, you know. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, it's, you know, you're, you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that people are paying Tesla for 
a feature that doesn't work like it's supposed to. And you're like, well, it's beta. I'm like, that's that's not what I shouldn't people, but you know, people are paying for it. But I think, you know, when you, especially the first few years, when it felt like they were on the cusp there, you know, and at that time, everyone was on the cusp of self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. You know, 2018, 2017, we're like, yep, they're only like a year away or two. Every automaker thought they were going to be, they were going to crack this nut. Um, but now, it's, you know, it's 2022, and the the cost just keeps going up, which is you know counter to you know most pieces of technology where you know oh you know this costs this much now it's going to be a little bit cheaper every year to to make this you know this this soft, this technology work but we're going to add more features to it is how you know why things keep getting more expensive but the the cost of the technology actually goes down it for Tesla it's the thing that they were supposed to do I don't know hundred years ago. <laughs> It's 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 still the same thing. It's still supposed to do the same thing, but the cost has just skyrocketed. And then the fact that someone is suing them is should not be. Uh, well, I'm surprised it took this long to be honest. I'm sure someone else is probably and probably nothing ever came of it because it was a it was a bad bad uh, bad lawsuit or bad filing. But yeah, they're yeah at some yeah they're they're losing yeah. a lot of a lot of fans. Well, the 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 argument that. Elon Musk makes for continually increasing the price. And and he actually said several years ago that they were going to start gradually increasing the price as they add more capability and get closer to uh you know to finishing it. It because the argument being that uh, you know you'll be able to use your Tesla as a robo taxi. You know, so when you're not using the car, you can send it out on the Tesla network and and have it give rides to people and start generating revenue from that. Um and so that would add value to the customers and so that they should be paying more for this for this extra value that they're getting except that the reality is that with the technology they have they're they're never going to get to the point where they can actually use this as a robo taxi it's just as, not going to work as two people who are in robo taxis <laughs> yeah. like last week like the amount of work and sensor redundancy and sensor you know the amount of sensors that are in there you know and and Cruise, the, the uh, I forget his name, the gentleman, the engineer over at Cruise, the head of, of hardware, even he said, you know, it'd be nice if he's like, it'd be nice if we can get to a point where we don't have to use as many sensors, like we, we don't have to use LiDAR. He's like, but we're not there yet. He's like, maybe we'll get there. Maybe, maybe that'll happen. Just be, you know, to, to reduce the prices of their, of their vehicles. But the amount of work that they have to do, and then they have, you know, the, a back end that takes care of all this and, you know, all of that. Tesla isn't really doing that. They're just trying to get it to do the one thing it's supposed to do. Yeah. That, There's that no was infrastructure Car, that was behind Jenkins. it. It was Carl yeah, Jenkins. Carl, yeah, Carl, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, all the, you know, the, right now, Cruise has over 3,000 employees. Um, and, you know, a lot of those are working on the actual self-driving product. But a lot of them are also building out all the other pieces that are necessary to make this a business, you know, to to create the network, you know, the, the back end platform um, and the monitoring systems and and everything else, the support mechanisms uh, for these vehicles, you know, things like, you know, they're designing uh, robots to clean the vehicles when it comes back into the depot. You know, they've got uh, robotic systems to charge it. Um, and robotic systems to go in and vacuum and clean up the interior of the vehicle before it gets sent out on its ne on its next uh, shift. Uh, so there's 
uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen to actually make this a, a reality. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so difficult for, for all this stuff um, to work in tandem. And I remember when Tesla was like, Hey, there's some, I was in, I was in Europe and there's when, when Tesla said, Hey, we have a couple charging stations in Europe that will support non-Teslas. And I was like, great. And I had the Tesla app on my phone and I had, a, I used to have a Tesla back when I was getting review cars from Tesla, I had a Tesla account and I loaded the app and I made sure it updated and it just didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> and it hasn't worked for a while for me. And that I just loaded it and it seems like it's working now. So that's good. But the fact that, I mean, Hey, we're going to do a thing. Cool. Let's load the app. So you can try these non Tesla chargers. Nope. Never mind. Never mind. The, 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 the app won't load. <laughs> And it's like, that's not a thing you can have for something that's supposed to be a robo taxi. Yeah. No, it's got to it's got to just work. All right. Um, another uh, bit of EV news: um, Volkswagen uh, is expected to replace the Arteon in 2024. So the Arteon is their current four door hatchback, um, midsize hatchback, premium model. Um, I quite like the Arteon when I, when I drove it, uh, late last year, I think. Um, and, and it's a very stylish vehicle, but the current generation Arteon is a front wheel drive gas, gas engine vehicle. I guess you can also get it all, all wheel drive, but it's going away in 2024 and it's going to be replaced by, uh, the ID arrow, which is an electric sedan, uh, midsize sedan. Um, and they showed it in uh china earlier this year um what do you think of the id arrow um you know what i think it looks nice you know it's we you know with this i okay first of all the fact you know the Arteon, cool looking great the the jetta great entry level nice great sedan don't know why they ever made the passat i've been railing against the passat for decades i don't see the point of it <laughs> <laughs> like ah, i just want the, a really nice jetta <laughs> Like just get a nice Jetta, um, but no, this thing looks cool. I think you know it. It'll be interesting to see how well it sells in the United States because it's a sedan. It's not a whatever SUV <laughs> crossover, whatever you want to call them. Um, but yeah, you know if we if we can convince people, yeah, well, you know the, the drag coefficient for SUVs has gotten really good too. So it's not like. Yeah, but they are, you know, even even if with a low drag coefficient, they are taller, which means they, they have more frontal taller. area. So That's that true. that does hit them. Plus extra weight, and you got to throw all that extra metal in there and uh. battery. But no, I think you know, I I like to think that people, as we move towards uh, EVs, people are going to start looking at wagons and sedans again. I'd um, I'd love to see them uh, back in 2019 at the LA vision? show. The 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 vision the space vision. Oh, the space vision was dope. That thing I was this. gorgeous. That and I remember, did you have were you in the meeting with Scott where he was like I think so after they they announced that there was a a briefing with CEO Scott Key who is now the CEO of Scout the upcoming EV uh, um, version of Scout Inter International Scout off road things. Um, he uh he had, he had this whole like sort of thought about the future where at some point kids would be like they're not going to want SUVs because that's what their parents drive mm -hmm. 
and you don't want to be like your parent. You don't want to be lame and boring like your parent. So he was like, I really think we're going to go back to like wagons and sedans because SUVs are like what your parents drive. And it hasn't happened yet. And I don't know if it will happen. I don't know if there's as much, you know, rebellion against your parents anymore than there used to be. I mean, I'm, there probably is. I'm old. What do I know? But I would hope that part of that rebellion is we're getting wagons. <laughs> I don't want your SUV, so. mom. I hope Scott was right, but I hope know, so too. I, I, I think I'm hopeful, but not optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he, he, he talked about how it made way more sense to make an EV that's a wagon than an EV versus an SUV, and it was, you know, but it was it was a pretty fun, you know, it was a fun discussion where he's just like, yeah, at some point, the people are going to want something different. He's just, you know, he's like, it's not, it's not like the the SUV is going to go away. It's just that the cool kids aren't going to buy them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there will always be SUVs, just like, you know, there will probably always be vans, minivans, and there'll you know, always they'll, be they'll just they'll be they'll be a niche, you know, of the market. Although, like, you know, with the ID buzz, you know, we could see the instead I of the wagon, it could be the the, the reemergence of the minivan is the cool thing. I think that you know, I think the the that the carnival the carnival, um I think, you know, the cool vans are cool again. Come on, kids. <laughs> get a van. You can take all your friends everywhere. Think of my friends you can get in the back of a van. Think of all Absolutely. the shenanigans you can get to. We had a friend who had a big, uh, a big, uh, no. Was it an Ecoline? It was a big, no. He had a big, he just had a van. <laughs> <laughs> like just like a regular old van, not a minivan, a van. And we would just hang out in this van. There were no seats in the back. There was like carpet down. <laughs> we would just hang out in the back of this van in my small town. And it was the greatest thing ever. And then we drive around, we'd just be rolling around in the back of the van like idiots because, you know, we're idiots and we're in high school. But uh, no, that van was awesome. Everyone would all go somewhere in our cars and then get out of the cars and get into the van because it's like, you know, 20 degrees outside. Yeah. So, you know, vans. All right. Um, until that time comes, we still have crossovers. So, dun, dun. And, um, and Lincoln um, is now, um, at least in North America, is exclusively a crossover brand. They have four crossovers, no more sedans left in the lineup. They still sell sedans in China. They, they've got a new Zephyr over there that is pretty cool looking. Um, but uh, we've got just just uh, just the cl- crossovers here, starting with the Corsair as their entry-level model. And for model year 23, uh, it goes on sale early in, early in the year, early in the new year. Um, it's, uh, it's getting a mid-cycle refresh, um, and, uh, it's getting a front end that looks more like the, uh, the Zephyr that I just mentioned, uh, which launched in China late last year or early this year. Uh, and the Zephyr is, you know, the replacement for the MKZ in China. Um, and it has a new grill style, which, um, Bet you, bet you are completely surprised by the fact that it's actually larger than the old grill. What? No. Yeah. I know. It's so a shot. Not... No, oh, nobody man, does that. Grill... Everyone settle down with the grills, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Corsair is getting a grill that looks uh, much like the, the Zephyr. Um, and um, according to Lincoln, this is going to be the new face going forward of uh, at least their their internal combustion vehicles, as long as they're still around. So presumably this means that maybe next year we'll see a refresh of the aviator that gets a similar style front end. Um, I don't know if you know, the, the, the Nautilus is going away, 
um, and it's going to be replaced oh. by an EV. Um, and well, the it was such a weird. It was a great car, but it was so expensive for what the, it was. The Nautilus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, but uh, the the other major change for the Corsair. Um, it, well, actually, not. There's not really any major changes for the Corsair. <laughs> the the they dropped the 2.3 liter uh turbo that was previously the optional engine in there so now they just have the base two liter and they have the plug-in hybrid that they want finally launched last year uh and they decided well with the plug-in hybrid we've got enough extra power from that that and we don't sell that many of the 2.3s so we're going to drop the 2.3 and just have the the two powertrains um and then they also made some changes in the interior. They've got the new larger 13-inch touchscreen that they put in the Nautilus last year and, and in the Navigator this year. Um, and uh, because they've got a larger screen there now, um, they the the previous control panel that kind of the kind of cantilevered out from the center of the dash where they had the climate controls and volume knobs and everything that has actually shrunk down so it's not it doesn't stick out as far as it used to and unfortunately they took advantage of that larger screen and moved the climate controls to a, a row along the bottom of the touch screen so climate controls are now virtual oh, gosh come on lincoln yeah. i feel like these vehicles are are perfect for my in-laws have a they had an mkx then they had an mkz they had a hybrid MKZ, and then they were like, oh, we need the MK. They went back to the MKX, and they're sad because it doesn't have a, a hybrid. But I feel like they, these vehicles are perfect for for folks like that. And then they're like, hey, by the way, remove the climate controls and <laughs> the, the screen. You're like, I know Although you can, you, you, can, you can use um, multiple um, voice recognition systems to adjust the temperature. You can use the oh, built-in Ford system, or you can use Amazon Alexa. They have um, thick Northern Ireland accents. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, this this is not. Yeah, I'm just like oh. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They'll have to. They'll have to make do with the touch controls. Then, I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. I just. I don't. I just put climate. Just leave some buttons in the car. Even Johnny Ive. We talked about it last week. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Stop taking buttons out. Like, I know it saves money. I know it's easy to just like have software that's that's localized for all the regions you're selling your vehicle, as opposed to having buttons and may or may not have to be swapped out because they have words on them. But oh, just you know, give us some buttons. It works better. Buttons work. Buttons work. There's a re reason we had buttons for so long. There's there's tons of things you can put in the touch screen that make completely you know make complete sense there. But give us our give us our climate controller and our media control buttons. Uh, absolutely. All right, we have one listener question to answer, um, and that is from and that uh, Dan Vesma on Twitter. Uh, it says, I shall shortly be, and this is a good one for you, especially. Oh, no. I shall shortly be offering my 04 diesel manual front wheel drive X type Jaguar for sale. Whoa. Um, wow. Any advice on how to present and market an older car? It needs some work, which I'm loath to get done before sale, steering box, and maybe a drive shaft and dog hair. So I think 
I think you've got all that covered except all, for the except for the diesel, right? Except for the diesel. I have the all-wheel drive, the three-liter all-wheel drive okay. uh, uh, V6 version. Um, first, look on – if I were you, I would look on um, uh, like KBB, like Kelly Blue Book, and just look at the value of the vehicle. Look at the – it's because – Yes, you're gonna to want to clean. You want to get rid of the dog hair. You're gonna, you know, you can get little vacuum cleaners for that. You can also use packing tape. Packing tape is actually wrap it around your hand and just pat it on the ground, and it pulls up dog hair like a dream. It's gonna take a while. Don't, yeah, it's not, it's not gonna be an easy job. But that's one of the easier ways we found to get rid of, of uh, animal hair. We have dogs and cats, so there's like hair everywhere in our house. Um, if you have one of those little vacuums that has the little, um, little spinning brushes on it, a small one. Um, that will help a lot uh, and just give it a good, nice cleaning. Um, as for like doing a lot of like mechanical work, see what the value is. If the value is pretty low, um, you know, just kind of get it ready because you're not going to, you know, if you put a thousand dollars in to get $250 more, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's, you're not going to, you know, you make sure that the, what you're putting in, you're going to get out of. Um, and it will help to, 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 to sort of sell it, but you know, a clean car sells a lot better than a dirty car. That's, I mean, if I go out to see, I, I tried to explain this to a friend once who got very angry with me when I told him, I'm like, well, if you're going to sell the car make sure it looks like you don't have a kid because yeah. there's a child in there. And he got super angry with me. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, people don't want a car full of Cheerios. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want a car full of ground up Cheerios and um so yeah make sure you know people don't want a car that looks like a dog's lived in it for so many years <laughs> so do that get some febreze drive around with the windows down for a while um but yeah definitely look and see what the value is i looked up the value of uh ours and it was not a lot it was like 1500 dollars at the time it might be higher um again we i, have, we, I, I oh, just did, i just did a quick kbb uh valuation uh a 2004 x type with a four-cylinder engine, hundred thousand miles, uh, in good condition. Uh, tr the uh, let's see, the trade-in range is about eighteen hundred to twenty-six hundred. Um, and let's see, private party is about tw uh, between twenty-eight hundred and forty-four hundred. So, you know, All depending right. on on how much mileage you've got, it it might be worth you know at the at the very least you know maybe getting it professionally detailed. Yeah, that's like, you know, you can probably yeah. get a Spend detail a couple like hundred bucks 200, on that. 200, 250 bucks. Get it like really, get it, get it in there, get it cleaned. Um, it's, you know, and, and I think that the used market is probably going to plateau or start dipping soon. So if you're going to sell it, maybe sell it soon. Um, then again, I might be wrong, but I've, I'm just looking at some of the numbers I've seen out there on, on vehicles that are for sale. They seem to be sort of leveling out a little bit, uh, but that could just be, you know, it's fall and everyone's out or summer and everyone's out having fun right now. And then, uh, but yeah, yeah. Give it, you know, give it a good cleaning, um, you know, check on the value of what it's going to cost to like any sort of mechanical issues that you think need to be fixed. Uh, and if you, if, again, if it's not worth it, then it's, it's really not worth it. Just be upfront with the person who's going to buy it. Cause you don't want an angry person coming to your house. It's a diesel. So it's, you know, it's, it's going to be a, that's a, that's a bit of a unicorn. So you got that going yeah. for you. <laughs> And you know, I mean, this is this is based on the the same platform that the um, the Ford Contour slash Mondeo and the Mercury Mystique, I think, uh, oh, were God, built on. Mystique. 
Yeah, or, or mistake as a lot of people refer to it as. Exactly. That's why um, I forgot about it. <laughs> so, you know, those, you know, those are pretty common. Um, you know, so, you know, the parts, you know, depending on what needs to be done, uh, you know, steering box, half shaft might not be that, might not be crazy expensive, you know, compared to what it would be for, you know, other Jaguars. Um, so, you know, might be worth, you know, at least getting an estimate on the work. If it's, you know, I, I probably, you know, at, at you know, at $3,500 average private party sale value, I probably wouldn't, I, I certainly wouldn't spend more than a thousand bucks on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely would not do that. Um, uh, yeah. If, if you know somebody, you know, who, you know, likes to do mechanical work and, you know, we'll do it for, you know, the cost of the parts and, you know, a couple of cases of beer and, and don't give them the beer until after the work is done. Um, <laughs> then, you know, you, you might be able to, to get that work done for under a thousand bucks. And, and then, you know, it'd probably have considerably more value at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, give it, give it, give it a shine, see what you can do mechanically. Um, again, we got ours for free. Ours was a gift because um, it was taken to the dealership to 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 they were going to use it as a trade in and the dealer wouldn't give them more than a thousand bucks for it. And they're like, well, it's the value of the car is higher than a thousand dollars. That's sort of the weird thing where you get to a, a point where the vehicle works, but the value the value of the vehicle is really low. But like the intrinsic, like the actual value to you as a person, you're like, well, this car is worth more than this. Yeah. Well, and, and, there, and, and there's always a big gap between you know, a trade-in value versus what, you know, what you, uh, you might be able to sell it to somebody, you know, on Craigslist or, you know, Facebook marketplace or something. Yeah. This is pre COVID. So they probably could have got 2000 maybe for it. Yeah. So it wasn't, it, yeah, it was, you know, that, that was, it was a different time. <laughs> so yeah. they just gave it to us because it's like, well, we don't want to deal with it. And you know, we've got, you know, and, and because You're a car guy, you know how to fix stuff. Yeah. That, that helps as well. <laughs> um, but it also helped that, um, because the value of it is so low, it costs like 20, 40, I don't know. I think it's like 40 bucks for us to get like full coverage insurance. <laughs> so if anyone like rams into us while we're doing something, they're like, you know, right now we would get, you know, probably $2,500, $3,000 for it. Like, all right, I guess we just, I guess buy another car. I don't know what we do actually. Because, yeah. Well, I mean, do we you, know, you got the Kona, you got the BRZ. Yeah. Do you actually need another one? Well, we really, we use the, uh, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> we use the the, the x type my wife goes to work she takes the kona because that's it's her yeah. car she needs to go to work she actually has to go to work every uh you know uh like a, like a regular person like me who just sits at home all day um when when you know when when she's gone and i want to take the dogs out i can't put them in the back of the i mean i can i have yeah they don't enjoy it but they're, they're better off in the x type <laughs> yeah they're better off in the x I, i've stuck so it's a, a little it's a dog transport machine it is a dog. It is really the dog car. And then sometimes yeah. we need to like haul some stuff in and again, you know, she's not around. So I just stick to some stuff. I have to get it smogged this year. I thought I got it smogged last year, but you know, time doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I'm like, Oh man, I have to reset the computer because it has a check engine light and the check engine light is essentially telling me the, the code is that we're, we're throwing a check engine light because we can't check everything. <laughs> It's not that we found anything wrong. It's that we, that we can't figure out how to find anything wrong. <laughs> and I was like, need, oh, my you God. You need to get one of those um, OBD2 adapters for, off of Amazon for about 15 bucks and and get a free app and, uh, you know, just read all the codes and then clear them. 
Yeah, it, it won't. Cl it'll clear everything, but this one. As soon as you turn it back, it, it'll clear it, but oh. it won't clear this one because the check engine light is that it can't check all the systems. Oh, okay. So it'll clear for like a minute, and then it comes back on because as soon as you turn the car on, it goes through the check everything, and then it gets to a point and it gets stuck and it can't. So everyone's like, "Oh, just you know, um, you know, remove the you know the the." Uh, unplug the battery, you know, like your router, yeah. unplug the battery for a little while, plug it back in. So I haven't done, I, you know, I, I haven't done that yet. So I have to figure that out. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm like, damn it. Damn it. And then, then as soon as I got that and they came in the mail, I was like, I wish you just had another EV. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know you can support wheel bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheel bearings media, and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Uh, all right. Well, that's all we've got for this time. Um, I do have uh, an interview that I recorded last week um that is has been on the uh, the patreon feed for patreon uh supporters uh with jeff hemphill who is the north american cto for the scheffler group um and uh, we had a really interesting conversation about some of the things that they're doing and part of it is really interesting uh we got into um discussion of uh, uh ride height adjustment systems and the impact that that can have on range for evs uh, and Scheffler's developed uh, this, uh, you know, there's a lot of vehicles out there now that have adjustable ride height, like the, the Rivians and so on, using air springs. But air spring systems are heavy and expensive. And uh, Scheffler's come up with uh, uh, an electromechanical system that they can adjust the ride height. Uh, and it's way less costly to put on, doesn't weigh that much, doesn't, doesn't really use any power. Uh, and uh, can... He said they can give you the equivalent, uh, like for an SUV, um, the equivalent uh, additional range of having an extra seven kilowatt hours of battery. Um, yeah. So uh, we, uh, we had a real interesting conversation. So check that out. And uh, we'll be back next time. Bye. Bye. I'm here with uh, Jeff Hemphill, who is the North American CTO for Scheffler Group. Um, and Scheffler is probably not a name that most people outside of the auto industry would recognize. Uh, you, you guys uh, are what uh, make what's traditionally considered the greasy bits, uh, <laughs> the stuff that's underneath that, that make vehicles work. Um, and this morning during the first part of the uh, symposium, I uh, heard about some really interesting technologies. Um, I know Scheffler has been doing a lot of stuff for a long time around e-mobility. And one of the areas that a lot of people don't necessarily think about with electrification is efficiency, energy efficiency, because you think, oh, there's no emissions, you're not using any gas. Yeah, it's good. It's all good. But it's a, it's a little more complex than that, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, <clears throat> an electric vehicle is very efficient compared to a combustion engine vehicle, but there is so much less energy on board the electric vehicle um, that you have to really be careful what you do almost literally with every electron that comes out of the battery, um, it has to do something useful. So, um, yeah, it's very important. So your Scheffler is tackling that from a number of different perspectives. Um, one is from in terms of motor design, 
Um, let's let's start off there, and then we'll get into some of the some of the other areas that people probably wouldn't think of as impacting efficiency that much. So, um, what you've got showed a couple of interesting things this morning. Uh, one, particularly the uh, the direct slot cooling. Talk about that some more. Yeah, that's um, kind of remarkable, really. After 200 years of electric motors being <laughs> on the market in production. To be able to still be coming up with innovations like that, but uh, yeah, the uh, <clears throat> the cooling of an electric motor is very critical. It actually pretty much determines the size of the motor, um, and most uh, electric motors are cooled uh, from the outside. So the uh, the copper that's heating up in there, it has to kind of bleed that heat into the stator, and then you pick it up on the outside of the stator. What we've managed to do is create uh, gaps around the copper windings in the stator so we can actually um, inject oil right down the length of the whole copper wire and pull the heat directly out of the motor. Um, so that opens up a, a couple possibilities. Well, the first thing is it makes the power, it almost doubles the power density of the motor. So most electric motors in, a, in an electric car, you, you probably have heard the, uh, that they have a peak power and a continuous power. And the continuous or the peak powers uh, you can do for say 30 seconds usually, um, and, and you can only do that until the motor heats up um, to the point where you might damage the magnets. Um, but with this concept is so effective at cooling that for that motor the peak power and the continuous power are actually the same. Um, so that's how you get almost a doubling of the of the power density of the motor. Um, but then it also allows you to do things in combination with our thermal management system. Um, you can actually use the motor as a heater. So if you if you need heat, to, uh, for example, to warm up the battery, um, you can actually operate the electric motor inefficiently on purpose and pull that waste heat out with the oil. And then you bring that into our thermal management unit and you can distribute it then to the batteries or the passenger compartment. And so you can even eliminate um, a, a, an electric heater from the system. So in, in that case, would the, would the benefit of being able to use that heat from the motor to, to uh, control the temperature of the battery offset the maybe a little bit of inefficiency from using the motor a little bit harder than you would? Yeah, um, because batteries, um, somebody I was at a conference recently, they said batteries are like humans. They don't they don't like to work too hard. They don't like it too hot. They don't like it too cold. <laughs> They're pretty particular. So if the battery is cold, the efficiency of it is miserable. Uh -huh. um, so the sooner you can warm it up, you win back a lot of uh, a lot of efficiency. It also helps a lot uh, if you want to do faster charging as well. <clears throat> pre yeah. Being able to uh, precondition the battery to get it to that optimal temperature when you're on your way to a charger. Uh, yeah, exactly. So. Going back to the the direct slot cooling, uh, I think you know one of the one of the things you generally try to do when you're designing a motor is get as as high a fill ratio of the copper mm -hmm. in the stator as possible. Does having the the gaps in between the windings, how does that impact it? Uh, how, how does that impact performance? You know, because you obviously you're going to have a little bit lower fill ratio in that case. Actually, it's um, very close to the same fill ratio because it, it turns out in an electric motor, normally the copper windings, of course, they have like a varnish insulation on them, but there's usually a paper or something around them as well. 
And basically we've just substituted uh, for that a kind of like a helix, if you will. So we still keep them separated like they would have been. So they're physically separated <clears throat> yeah. by that gap that you allow the oil to flow through. Right. So it's actually very small gaps between the wires, but because there are so many wires in the stator, you can pass a great deal of oil through it. Oh, okay. So it's quite close to the same uh, fill factor. Okay. So the motors, you know, I think you know, maybe <coughs> most people are not necessarily that familiar with motors, but the motors we find in most EVs and hybrids today are what we call radial flux motors. Mm-hmm. Um, and But there's another kind of motor that you've also got here today that's been getting some more attention lately. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, axial flux motors. Um, what's the... What's the advantage of an axial flux motor versus a radial flux? Um, Axial flux offers um, a a dramatically higher power density. So you can, it it is roughly double um, of a a good radial flux motor. And it's just due to the the, uh, way that you can organize the magnetic fields, if you will. Um, So they have a great um, uh, power density advantage. Um, but they do come with some downsides because they tend to have fewer uh, magnetic poles than a, a radial flux motor. They have a little bit more torque ripple. Okay. Um, so therefore, we've had had to develop uh, software strategies um, that you'll hear about in a later speech um, to correct that torque ripple and make it more acceptable. So um, with the with the direct slot cooling, you can get double the power density. Is that doubling with the axial flux motor compared to a conventional radial flux or yeah. compared to it? So with the direct slot cooling, would you have comparable power density to an axial flux? Um, I don't, I've not, not done that math, but I guess in principle that would make sense. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, you know, I think one of the, the interesting uh, things that we've been seeing, you know, one of the manufacturers that's been uh, talking a lot about axial flux motors is, is Mercedes-Benz mm-hmm. with their high-performance AMG group. Uh, they're planning, I think, planning to use that kind of technology in there. When uh, I guess for both of these, for the direct slot cooling and the axial flux motors, where <coughs> is Scheffler in terms of production readiness? When, when are you going to see that, either of those in, in production? Um, the, uh, the slot cooling... I don't think we have a, a launch date yet. Um, we're working on industrializing it, basically figuring out um, how to produce that. But w- within the next couple of years would be possible. Um, the axial flux, I think we expect to have one in production in 26. Okay. So coming down the pipeline here. All right. Kind of moving down the chain a little bit, um, you, talked, uh, you talked about the need to manage the temperature of the batteries, uh, among other things. And, and thermal management in, in an EV is really important. And, of course, Scheffler, one of the areas that you've got experience in with internal combustion engines is thermal management. Mm-hmm. Um, and are, are you able to translate that expertise um, or you know, are there new things that you're doing uh, new directions that you're going with thermal management for uh, for electric vehicles versus internal combustion? Yeah, definitely. Um, building on, on what we learned from internal combustion, and as you said, when you get into electric vehicles, it's a more complicated problem. 
um, because everything wants to be a different temperature, the battery, the passenger compartment, the power electronics, the motor. Um, so you, you have a lot more branches in your system. So the, the basics of our, um, our, our thermal management module is, is basically a rotary valve that allows you to connect um, up to eight different passages to each other. Um, and so that in itself helps right away just to be able to communicate with all those different uh, temperature regimes, if you will. Um, but then we can build on to that. Um, so, for example, we're developing in-house a CO2 compressor. So if you use CO2 as the refrigerant um, and a heat pump <clears throat> for passenger compartment heating, um, we found a lot of gains that can be made in overall efficiency there. So we're even adding on components to, to our basic thermal management. Okay. Um, let's move into a kind of a different area that mm -hmm. also has a surprising impact on energy efficiency. Because, again, going back, you know, efficiency is important for an EV because the, the battery has a limited amount of capacity. It's nowhere near the energy density of a gallon of liquid fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you want to utilize that capacity as, as best you can. You, want, you don't want to waste any of it. And so, um, yeah, and, and because batteries are also the biggest and heaviest component in an EV. Uh, if you can make that more efficient, you can reduce the cost of the vehicle, make it more affordable to more people. Mm -hmm. um, chassis technology is an area that Shuffler has had a lot of uh, experience in. And again, I think that's an area that most people wouldn't necessarily think of as being important to an EV, but it turns out it really is. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, one of the things that was talked about this morning was the um, the ride height control system, the, the mechatronic ride height control system. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's basically a application of our industrial ball screw technology um, to automotive, um, and. Yeah, basically make a concentric ball screw with an electric motor to actuate it and put that under the spring seat, <clears throat> um, probably in the front and the rear, um, although you can get some benefit just from the front. And uh, for the EV, that, that really helps a lot because when you lower the vehicle at highway speed, for example, you, you limit the amount of air that goes under it, you, you limit the amount of tire that's exposed, um, and you basically reduce the frontal area of the vehicle, so you can get, I don't know, on the order of four or five percent of, of range extension at a steady speed um, through that. And then, of course, you get some other <coughs> ancillary benefits, um, <clears throat> like it, you can uh, lower the vehicle to get in and out of it if it's an SUV, or um, you can raise the vehicle for off-road use if it's an off-road type capability vehicle. Um, so you get some side benefits, but the big thing. Um, is if you lower the vehicle, um, you could you can either get more range or you can take out battery cells, and you can save a lot of money um, by not purchasing battery cells. <laughs> yeah, I think the example that was presented this morning, we talked about um, with lowering the vehicle, <coughs> the example vehicle that they used, um, dropping it by uh, the the drag coefficient by about or the, the total drag by about 40 counts which equated to the equivalent of adding seven kilowatt hours of energy to the, to the battery. And you know, the, the, the best battery prices we're seeing right now are somewhere around $100 a kilowatt hour. Yeah. Most, and these days, it's actually probably closer to double that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, when, is this 
Uh, is this type of ride height control system available today, or when, when do you expect that to be in production? It is fully developed and tested. Um, actually, we started that quite a long time ago and, and uh, didn't find the market terribly interested in it. But now with the growth of EVs, it's, it's uh, coming back. So it's, it's been ready uh, for pr production for quite a while. Um, I, I think it's maybe three years away for when it'll actually enter production. What, uh, how does the, the weight and the, the cost of this type of system that Shuffler's developed compare to the airspring systems that we see on quite a few, especially higher end EVs today? Um, weight, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I know it is um, significantly cheaper than an air suspension system, but I don't know ex an exact number there. Okay. Um, but definitely cheaper. All right. Um, another interesting area from the from the chassis perspective um, yeah, is some of the things that were talked about around steering. Uh, and, and again, the one of the things that is both good and bad uh, <laughs> about EVs uh, is you know because the battery has got to fit in between the axles there. Um, most EVs tend to have longer wheelbases, which is good from a passenger volume perspective. Mm -hmm. You don't have the engine in there. It can, it can spread those wheels out to the corners uh, and open up that space inside a vehicle that's the same overall size. The flip side of that is longer turning radiuses mm -hmm. um, and you know, less maneuverability. And how's, how's Sheffer attacking that problem? Yeah, that's where we again... Um turn to our industrial group um, who has a, a product called a planetary roller gear. Um, so it, it's a little bit similar to a ball screw, but instead of balls, we have actual planets rotating around the threaded uh, rod. And that turns out to offer a really good efficiency advantage. So we repackage that into a rear steer actuator um, so that can do uh, up to, I think, 58 millimeters of travel, so you can actually turn the rear wheels, depending if you're parking or, or driving at speed, maybe with the front wheels or maybe against the front wheels. Um, but you can do uh, several meters of reduction of the turning circle um, for these longer wheelbase vehicles with that. So that, that's really gaining traction there. Yeah, I think that's, you know, <clears throat> that's from, a, from a usability perspective, you know, that one's probably not going to have so much impact on efficiency, but mm -hmm. from the usability perspective it does. But there, there's also some efficiency advantages that you can gain um, from the, the front wheel steer-by-wire uh, technology that you're also developing. <clears throat> yeah, and there on the front wheels we do actually use a ball screw because of the, the much longer travel and the fact that it has to be, uh, it, it can't be self-locking, it has to return to center if there would be um, some kind of a power failure. Um, so yeah, it's a very, very efficient system. Is, is, what's the, the time frame for that to see production application? I believe that's also, for front steer, I think that is also 26 for us. Okay. Um, um, and what, you know, besides um, you know, the, the flexibility you get out of that, what, what are some of the other advantages of going to a steer-by-wire system, especially a front steer-by-wire system on, on any vehicle, not just an EV. Yeah, it, uh, it can offer uh, a lot of advantages, actually, as, um, as uh, computers get smarter and smarter, eventually they're going to be able to 
make evasive maneuvers for the driver. <clears throat> but it could be very alarming to the driver if suddenly the steering wheel is moving around on them unexpectedly. Um, so it would allow you to do things like that. You can actually adjust the steering without letting the driver know. Um, and then, of course, as we get into autonomous vehicles, it enables a car without a steering wheel. Um, but in between there, uh, we're exploring some concepts like joystick steering. So maybe you have an autonomous vehicle, but you want to have a manual mode. Um, you can have a, a joystick to do that. Or even you can steer with, a, say, a steering wheel or a yoke, but not actually by rotating it, but by applying torque to it. Mm -hmm. So... And that's we've built some demonstrator vehicles. It's really quite interesting to drive those cars. Um, so it really allows you to reimagine the, the driver interface to, to steering the car. Yeah, I, I actually I recently had an opportunity to briefly drive uh, a, a prototype delivery van with a steer-by-wire mm. system uh, from uh, from Re, um, mm -hmm. an Israeli startup, and it was. Uh, it was a fascinating experience because yeah. <laughs> you, you have that disconnect between what the wheel's doing and what the vehicle's doing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I like what you mentioned about you know when you're driving down the road, you know, I mean, even if it's just something like uh, you know a crowd of the road or crosswinds, uh, the mm -hmm. a steer by wire system could be keeping the vehicle on the right track. It doesn't necessarily need to provide feedback through the wheel. To the driver of what it's doing, but you know, because as you said, that 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 could create some distraction for the driver. Mm -hmm. um, so interesting. Um, another area of uh, of e-mobility is fuel cell technology. Mm -hmm. um, and what what parts of fuel cell systems is Scheffler doing? And where do you see that fitting in in the marketplace? Because obviously a lot of the emphasis is on, around battery electric. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think, I think there, is, there is a place for fuel cells. But where do you see fuel cells in the marketplace? <clears throat> well, we certainly see uh, on the mobility side, um, they would probably start off in the heavy-duty sector um, just because of the, the energy density and the, and the fill time um, you can get with hydrogen is, is much better than with batteries. Um, the the, uh, a battery pack to, to drive an over-the-road truck can be many tons and you need a megawatt power charger to charge it in a reasonable amount of time. So so certainly would see an entry there, um, potentially also for light vehicles. Um, it's, it's really going to depend on how the hydrogen market develops, I think. There's a, there's a strong need uh, to, to use some kind of energy storage to stabilize the grid because when you go to wind and solar that becomes a, a significant part of your grid it's not very steady so you need some way to produce excess electricity when the wind's blowing hard and have that available when the wind is not blowing and the favorite right now especially in europe to do that is hydrogen so you can run an electrolyzer um, off of a green grid and produce hydrogen and then use that um, either in a fuel cell to produce electricity or conceivably even, um, you know, to fire a turbine uh, to produce electricity in a plant. Um, and you can do things with it um, like uh, we're exploring uh, converting our heat treat furnaces over to hydrogen. Um, so as the grid gets greener and hopefully the electricity gets cheaper or continues to get cheaper as it, as it has been, um, then... Uh, could be that we get enough hydrogen production 
that eventually it spreads beyond commercial vehicles and, and actually goes into light vehicles um, because, again, you'll get that uh, advantage of range and fast uh, fill time compared to spending 20 minutes at a, at a battery charger you can fill up in five. And, and what, what aspects of the fuel cell system is Scheffler involved in developing or producing? Initially, um, what got us involved is the bipolar plates. Um, so a fuel cell or an electrolyzer, actually, um, is a stack of hundreds or even thousands of thin sheet metal plates. And we are, our, our oldest products are in sheet metal stamping. So we're, we're big uh, experts in sheet metal stamping. So we knew we could form plates um, uh, well. And we also understand fluid dynamics from our torque converter work in the past. Um, so we can design the passages in the plate where the hydrogen um, passes through there. Um, so that's our entry point. We actually have a joint venture now uh, called Symbio in France. Um, and we're producing uh, bipolar plates for them, and then they're putting it into a, a fuel cell stack. <clears throat> so that's where we'll start off, and then also uh, plates for electrolyzers um, that create the hydrogen. Ba from electrolyzer is basically the same thing as a fuel cell in the opposite direction. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but they do tend to be bigger. Um, if you have a chance, you can see our display in there. The, a bipolar plate for a, for a fuel cell for a car is you know a foot by a half a foot or something, but the the ones for an electrolyzer are almost as big as a door. So it's a really big piece of sheet metal there. And doing um, doing that with the level of precision you need for that type of device is it's pretty complex. Yeah, it actually w was a bigger stamping challenge than our our stamping tool designers anticipated because it's uh, by far the thinnest sheet metal we've ever stamped. So you would like to get these. Uh, under a tenth of a millimeter of thickness, so it's really a foil, um, and you have to put a, a very precise form in that foil without tearing it, um, so that you get the passage of the of the hydrogen through there in an efficient way, and also that you get the contact with the exchange membranes. Um, you, you don't want to have lazy radii; you want to have sharp corners. So to do that with a literally with a foil, this is very challenging. But yeah, we <clears throat> we have mastered it, so we've got some good stuff coming out there. Okay, um, and then one one last area, um, one of the the last presentations this morning was around some of your engine technology. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been producing a lot of components for engines for a long time, mm -hmm. and taking some of those now and using them in in new ways. Talk a little bit about the smart overrun system. Yeah, that is specifically, it's actually a combination of, of existing products for us. Um, an electric cam phaser, a, a valve deactivation system, and an accessory drive system. Um, but you put those together in a new uh, combination to meet the unique needs of hybrids. Mm -hmm. um, because when you hybridize an engine, you're going to want to turn it off as often as you can. And that creates a host of issues. For example, the catalyst doesn't like... Uh, to get cold, so whenever you turn the engine off, the catalyst is going to start to cool off, and then it really doesn't like to have oxygen in it, so when you restart the engine, you're often going to get a blast of oxygen go through the catalyst, um, so you don't want any of those things to happen, and so with that uh, system, um, we can, for example, deactivate the exhaust valves and protect the catalyst, um, and then we can gain some efficiency benefits, um, for example, Controlling the valve timing um, allows you to reduce the drag torque of the engine. So when the 
engine is not running, um, and if you don't have a disconnect clutch for the engine, um, that is all just kinetic energy that you can put in the battery that otherwise would have just been going into friction drag in the engine. So we get something around a 5% improvement over the base hybrid system um, in fuel economy um, just by, by simple little tricks like that. But Now, is that, uh, is that just with mild hybrids, uh, like 48-volt mild hybrids, or is that also with uh, strong hybrid systems, high-voltage hybrid systems? Also works with a, with a stronger hybrid system. Um, depending on the size of the system, if you uh, get into like a P2 system with a disconnect clutch, then you're actually bringing the engine to rest, so you have a little bit less to worry about there in terms of protecting the catalyst and so on. But it still offers utility for really any kind of hybrid. Okay. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. Are there <clears throat> any last thoughts that you want to share uh, that we haven't covered that you know, think people should be thinking about? Hi, it's just a tremendously exciting time to be an engineer, I guess. Yeah. I've been saying that for 35 years, but it's more true now than it has ever been. I, when I think about starting my career in manual clutch development, and now we're talking about solid-state battery cells and electric motors and power electronics, and um, so it's just going to be a tremendous uh, good time to see these new vehicles coming out with all this new technology. Um, should be a, a great time uh, to be a consumer of cars as well as a designer of, of powertrains. I agree. I've, I've been in the auto industry for over 30 years myself as an engineer, a writer, and, and an analyst, and mm -hmm. uh, it's, this is definitely the most interesting time of my career. So Yeah, it's right. going to be great. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thank you. <clears throat> What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.